one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Kylie Camps and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. This podcast is a conversation with Justine Dean. We are talking about imposter syndrome, and this is such a big topic. I feel like I say that a lot when I'm speaking about the things that I am exploring, the topics I'm exploring with guests, but in particular, imposter syndrome is one that I know is plaguing so many women and holding women back from living a life that they truly desire or just holding them back from enjoying what is right in front of their faces. Not even, not even stopping them from pursuing more, but just stopping them from feeling good in the moment that they have access to right now. And when I think about the purpose for holding this conversation and the purpose for this podcast, really, it is to make a positive difference in the life of women. And I probably don't always get it right, but this is a conversation that I know will have positive implications for those who listen to it and really take it on board. And that is my hope. It was really, really nice to have this chat with Justine and we talk about a lot. We speak about exactly what imposter syndrome is and where it came from and why it still is affecting so many people. We talk about the different ways that it can hold us back from the workplace to our relationships to, as I just mentioned, enjoying the current moment. We talk about ways to address these feelings and thoughts and how we can overcome these beliefs that we are holding on to. It was really, really nice to explore this topic with Justine and I came across 
Justine. Well, actually, she landed in my inbox via a mutual friend, Lauren White. And you'll hear us both mention the name Lauren throughout this conversation. So I wanted to also just mention Lauren has just released her own podcast. You may have heard Lauren as a guest on my podcast. Um, We recorded an episode, which I think might even be my most popular episode. I'll have to check the listens again, but it's definitely up there. And so I know a lot of you have heard Lauren before. So I wanted to say she now has her own podcast, which is called The Secret Women Keep. Jump over and click subscribe. And I'm sure that you'll enjoy a lot of her content as well. And Lauren has interviewed me for that podcast too. And at the end of our chat, when we'd finished recording, she said, Hey, can I recommend a guest for your podcast? And she then went on to tell me about Justine. And then she gave a beautiful introduction via email. And that is how I came to interact with Justine and know of her work. Justine is a Canberra-based coach and mentor to professional and entrepreneurial women who are impacted by symptoms of imposter syndrome. She provides highly personalized online one-on-one coaching as well as a six-month group coaching experience. Justine's belief is that deep personal work is about asking questions no one else has had the courage to ask and empowering her clients to trust themselves. She is well known for being direct whilst providing safety, compassion, humor, and encouragement for her clients. Justine helps high achieving women beat their symptoms of imposterism, unlock innovation, unlock creativity, motivation, productivity, confidence, and fulfillment. And I'm sure that you will enjoy hearing from her in today's chat. Before we dive into it, just a moment to say thank you to Neutral Organics for sponsoring today's episode. I am so excited about Nutra Organics' newest range of products and the way that they've reimagined some of their favorites. I've spoken about their new protein powders. Salted caramel fudge is delicious. But today I wanted to take this opportunity to introduce you to their new reimagined um, superheroes, their kids' powders, in particular, Choc Whiz. Now, I love, love, love this powder and I've been using it in my overnight oats as you would have seen on Instagram stories. Choc Whiz is a chocolate berry drink with choc chunks. It is a brain boosting and gut loving super powder and it is delicious. You can use this in pancakes, muffins, overnight oats, like I said, on your morning oats, yogurt, smoothies. You can add it to cold milk, warm milk. It's aimed at kids, but I've been using it myself as well as for the boys. I often add this to their pancakes because it gives it a really delicious chocolate hit, but it also has a whole stack of goodness in there. So it is a brain boosting, gut loving chocolate drink with organic cacao, super berries and choc chunks for smarty pants, school fuel and sweet tooth satisfaction. 
In ChalkWiz, you will find calcium, iron, magnesium, omega-3, DHA, prebiotics, and 1 billion potent shelf-stable probiotics to restore digestive health. ChalkWiz supports cognitive function, gut well-being, teeth and bones, energy and growth and development. This is safe for little ones over 12 months of age. It is a really, really versatile product, as I said, and I just love the new packaging as well. It's super cute, but way more important than it being a super cute product. It tastes amazing. It's full of goodness and it's easy to use. I have been adding it, as I said, to my overnight oats. So what I do is I take rolled oats, chia seeds, a serving of Choc Whiz or two, if I feel like it, and then soaking it in milk. So I like to use almond or coconut, covering it up, popping it in the fridge overnight, and it is delicious the next morning. If you have little ones with a sweet tooth and you want that peace of mind of getting a few more... Um, vitamins and minerals like calcium, iron, magnesium, etc., into them, then definitely check out Choc Whiz. My Nutra Organics discount code is Kylie, all in capitals, K Y L I E, and that will get you 15% off, which really does add up when you're purchasing a few products from the Nutra range. So that is Nutra Organics, and my code is Kylie, all in capitals. So let's get stuck into this big conversation with Justine Dean about imposter syndrome. It would mean the world to me if you jump over to Instagram and let me know if you enjoyed this conversation and what you took from it. I know even as I was speaking with Justine, I was like, yes, yes, yes. And you'll hear it. Sometimes I'm processing things in real time, but it was just a real pleasure to speak with her and to explore this topic. So thank you for hitting play and I hope it's helpful. Justine, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation. I'm so looking forward to diving into this topic. This is a huge topic. We've just had a bit of a chat before we've hit record and I know that this is one so many women in particular want to hear about. And before we dive into all of the intricacies and the ins and outs and the things we must know, first and foremost, what exactly is this term imposter syndrome all about? It's really fascinating. When I started to look into this, I was blown away because for me, when something is called a syndrome, it implies that it's a medical term and that it's rare whereas imposter syndrome is actually not rare. Uh, It's a term that was created in the 70s um, by a couple of women to label people who feel like they don't belong in the workplace. And at the time, it was mostly women. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Interesting, but not surprising. Mm. Oh, God, no. Look, um, studies show that about 70% of us, male and female, throughout our whole lifetime will experience symptoms of imposterism, um, and two-thirds of those are women. So again, like it just, the stats just blew me away. Mm. And when I say not surprising that it's women, I guess the reason I say that is because if we look back in history, I mean, there are so many different subcultures that it would affect. But, you know, when we're just speaking about genders, as a gender, women, we've been told we don't belong. 
So that's a lot of history to overcome, to feel as though we do belong in certain places. So it makes perfect sense to me that women would struggle more than men because we just, I guess, we don't have that inherent entitlement that sometimes men do. Yeah, look, I think um, what surprised me, well, it, it actually didn't surprise me that it was a term that was only created in the 70s because that's when women were flooding into the workplace and there's a legacy, a bit of a hangover, and even still to today, but in the 70s, um, you know, that patriarchal, only men belong in the workplace. So the fact that they actually had to come up with a label for something um, that people were experiencing, it's it's sad, but it also indicates that it's super common. Like I think the biggest myth around imposter syndrome is that um, not many people experience it. Everyone, you know, anyone I've spoken to feels very isolated and alone, so they don't talk about it because they feel bad about it. Mm, and just back to that labelling of, you know, calling it a syndrome, I'm almost sort of thinking it's, to me, it's a bit similar in my head when I hear someone say, oh, I'm struggling with imposter syndrome. Sometimes what I hear is more so in line with, you know, when someone's really organized and they say, oh, I'm OCD. They're not actually diagnosed as having obsessive compulsive disorder or they're not actually in the throes of really struggling with it. They've just taken that label and run it through their own filter and then it becomes more of a throwaway um, comment does that make sense like oh I guess, absolutely I guess what I'm saying yeah. is sometimes people say oh imposter syndrome imposter syndrome and there's that almost lightness to it but then the flip side is when we are using the word syndrome it does sound like a real medical condition so I guess one of my first questions is is it a real medical condition not that I'm aware of as I said it's a it's a label it there are um, there, it's really interesting. It's not a medical condition to the best of my knowledge. This is about feeling inadequate, feeling like you don't belong. It's feeling like you're not good enough. Uh, and those things can come from childhood trauma. Like childhood trauma is not a prerequisite for having symptoms of imposterism. However, I haven't coached any person yet who hasn't had either childhood trauma or a perfect childhood because both can create symptoms of imposterism. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Um, and I like that you're reframing it. And so in, uh, instead of calling it imposter syndrome, you call it imposterism. Yeah, I don't like the term because I think, like you said, we very loosely label ourselves and because there's not enough information out there about what the symptoms are, um, it's, it's, and again, I think it's attached to that um, gender thing where we feel embarrassed, you know, we don't feel like we belong. And a lot of the women I work with are professional and entrepreneurial females who are quite successful in their field, but they've, so they don't feel comfortable talking about feeling not good enough. Um, so there's a lot of shame around it. So we label ourselves and then we don't talk about it so we hold ourselves back and lower the bar and don't speak up and then we feel more isolated and it just is this flow-on effect. Um, and so that creates that mystery and that misconception around it. Mm, so it's 
it's really a internal dialogue which I then like all of a lot of our internal dialogue then it comes out in our actions and our choices and the way that we're living and things like that Mm -hmm. so how else does imposterism show up other than feeling like we don't belong um Something really common that happens is you procrastinate or you're a perfectionist. So somewhere along the line in your childhood or in your earlier career, something's happened where you've decided that you're not, you, it's not safe to either step into your power or it's not safe to do something and fail. Um, you might have been in an environment where you were shamed for having a go at something and failing or you were told to tone things down a bit if you were in the light a little bit too much it could be um I had a client whose sibling was born with a very severe learning difficulty and she was quite bright and her parents sort of said to her we're not going to celebrate you too much because we don't want to make your your brother feel bad Mm -hmm. so you know, that's where somebody might grow up and not want to be too successful but have that yearning inside of themselves and not want to upset somebody else um, in the family. So it sort of transfers into the workplace or into their career. Um, and with procrastination and perfectionism, if then if they don't feel safe to have a go at something or they feel like they're going to be ridiculed if they even if they do well, Uh, they'll either procrastinate heavily because they're afraid of their perception of what will happen or they'll be a perfectionist and wear themselves into the ground because they're afraid of failing. And if uh, like you're actually afraid of the same thing, whether you're procrastinating or, you know, you're trying to get everything perfect because you're constantly comparing yourself to something that isn't real. Mm, and it's so true because people think oh they're opposite ends of the spectrum and I guess on the surface they can be you know you've got this one person who is frozen and can't take action and then on the other end you've got this person who's taking all of the actions and achieving all of the things but like you said the motivation that intrinsic need that they're trying to meet to satisfy is in fact one of the same exactly they've got exactly the same things going through their head um the same messages, the exact same messages. Um, I coached over 200 people in one organisation a couple of years ago and every single one of them uh, in their top three negative beliefs was, I'm not good enough, I don't belong, I don't deserve this. And Mm -hmm. they were at varying levels in the company and um, varying levels of success. And it's just the same beliefs are driving different behaviours. Yes, So I can see such a clear, direct line there from what you mentioned earlier about the childhood belief or the childhood trauma. And, you know, trauma is one of those things that sometimes people think, oh, you know, trauma means a massive life event. But a trauma for someone in childhood could be, as you mentioned, you know, that that person that is told, we're not going to celebrate you too much for fear of making your sibling feel less than. That's... Mm a traumatic belief that would then show up later in life. And it's really hard. It's hard to overcome these inbuilt childhood beliefs that we've carried around our whole life. Yeah, absolutely. I had um, I had a client whose mum, I think she was in grade two or three at the time, 
and her report card, she got a B mi- couple of B minuses and a couple of A's. And her mum said, this is so embarrassing. I can't show this to the family. And you can imagine, so this little girl was trying to do well, but her best efforts in grade two or three was not good enough. And so she still felt shame for having tried. So imagine what that creates in someone. Oh, I, it, and it's just like I'm just sat here thinking like none of us get out of childhood without some sort of belief that is still calling the shots as an adult. And, you know, as a parent now, and I know you have a, a blended family with, you know, you've raised five kids. Yeah. It's just so much pressure, isn't it? Like oh, you just cute. when you understand that the way that your parenting is shaping their beliefs and there just has to be, I guess, some sort of level of surrender of going, you know what? None of us get out of childhood without <laughs> and trying to be as cognizant and as aware about the important things as possible, I guess. Oh, it's so true. I look back now, like, because I've learnt probably the more I learn, the more I realise that I need to learn. And I look back over, like, I wish my kids grew up with this version of me. <laughs> I'm way cooler now and uh, I probably would have done way less damage back then you know but you can't beat yourself up because you are only operating from what you know at the time and I think um, a lot of parents uh, a lot of adults need to realize that their their parents are probably unhealed from their childhood stuff too so they're doing they did the best they could with what they had at the time um But the interesting thing about imposterism that I've noticed in my clients is that it can still, those symptoms can still come from a perfect childhood. I've had people say to me, you know, I had one lady say to me, I can't believe I'm doubting myself so much and I feel so undeserving um, because I had a perfect childhood. Like, why am I such a mess? And so once we had a conversation about her childhood, she had a successful sister who had... um, like a couple of uni degrees her brother was great at sport her mum was a wonderful you know housewife and mum and was a great cook and great house cleaner and just just a, a happy successful family however when we make decisions as a child about the things that are going on around us about what they mean we're making decisions based on the emotional maturity of a five-year-old or a 12-year-old um, and she decided unless she was you know, unless she had two degrees, she wasn't good enough. Unless she was a great cook, she wasn't good enough. Unless she could balance mm. and do everything, she wasn't good enough. And so as an adult, she was a successful woman in her industry, still feeling not good enough, unworthy, because in her eyes she was still a little girl measuring every other woman around her um, by unreasonable standards. And Absolutely. she had, yeah. She had three degrees and was fine. She was about to launch into a new project with a colleague and was fine. And then she rang me up and had a freak out. She's like, she's got four degrees. I can't do this. And it it just triggered everything for her. And it just goes to show, I mean, even using the term perfect childhood, like in air quotes, no one has the perfect childhood, but they can have the on-paper version of like two supportive parents, went to a great school, didn't struggle, all of these things. But even if you've got all of those things, as you said, you're still developing beliefs. And this is something I often talk about is whether we 
go and consciously define what success is or it's Mm. just a simmering belief below the surface. We have a definition. And so for some people, success is, oh, you know, well, my parents, they had two kids, they had the white picket fence, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So even though they had everything right on paper, if when they, you know, at some stage in their life, things aren't matching up to that definition of success, they might feel then like they're continually reaching or they're just not where they should be. And it mm. really is much more of a case of recalibrating and redefining what success is for your current season of life rather than that subconscious belief because we all, we're all we all creating beliefs out of our stories and making our own narratives all the time. Oh, absolutely. Um, one thing I just thought of just then, and I want to bring it up because it's so important, For someone who's suffering symptoms of imposterism, if they don't ever get help for it uh, and think that they can deal with it on their own, that is a huge strain and it's eventually, it's not sustainable. It'll It'll come out somewhere in your life. And the other important part of that is that there is actually no level of enoughness that will satisfy and, and eliminate those symptoms if you keep raising the bar higher and putting more pressure on yourself and not dealing with it. Um, Maya Angelou and um, Albert Einstein both suffered extreme symptoms of imposterism, which astounds me. And Maya Angelou um, uh, was part of a study and, you know, the comments that came out of it is it doesn't matter if you if you don't deal with it and you keep trying to push through it and push it down and ignore it, there's no level of enoughness that is going to satisfy what you're feeling. And that mm. fascinates me. Yeah, that is fascinating. And it's powerful just to, mm-hmm. to understand that people that we put on a pedestal also suffer with feelings of feeling inferior and imposterism. Now, I would also like to just touch on it just whilst we're here that feelings of um you know having imposter thoughts and imposter feelings and doubts and being held back by procrastinating or perfectionism that is not just confined to the workplace like this happens in relationships and personal life as well yes yes um people will often raise their eyebrows when i mentioned that imposterism is not just even though it was a a term that was coined for workplace situations the same thing plays out let's use relationships for example Um, if you don't believe that you're good enough if you feel that you're not pretty enough if you feel that when I get down to 70 kilos then I'll be you know um, able to attract the right partner yeah yeah then I'll be worthy you think about it you're wearing all of those lenses so you're not going to choose a partner that will be good for you because you're choosing what you believe you deserve or somebody will ask you out on a date and they'll be gorgeous and you will accept the date and end up in a relationship with them and then you'll either blow it or you won't let them love you fully because you don't believe you deserve it. I've had women say, how did I end up with this beautiful family? And the reason she's come to me is because she they're having troubles because she cannot believe that she deserves such a wonderful man and she's pushing him away in one way or another and she's suffering shame and guilt because she doesn't believe she belongs in such a beautiful 
safe, loving relationship. I think this happens in so many areas of life. Mm. And just to highlight, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite all time quotes is, and I, you know, it goes beyond being a quote. I think it's one of the biggest truths in life is that we accept the love we think we deserve. So, you know, if we have this um, deep disconnection from ourself or this, you know, I guess feeling that we don't trust ourselves, we're not worthy, you know, just not really loving ourselves, then we're going to Mm. choose someone who lines up with that, someone that can't really love us. Or like you said, we might put ourselves in a situation where we are choosing someone that aligns with a version of us that we feel like we're not quite that person yet and Mm. then end up self-sabotaging and self-sabotage it just it it's so much more common than women realize like this underlying belief of I don't deserve it so I'm going to go out of my way to make sure I don't get it or to make it you know to make what I believe come true this happens in dating it happens with food diet exercise all of these things and in work as well you know like maybe you've been offered this promotion but you just don't really believe that you're worthy of it so you self-sabotage it's oh absolutely um the thing is it's very insidious imposterism the symptoms are very insidious because you're not consciously going out there and saying, I'm going to choose someone who's really bad for me and who's going to make me feel unworthy. You, Your subconscious mind looks for evidence to prove you right all the time. So yes. whatever you believe, that's what you're going to get. So that means... Um, you'll, you know, you won't apply for a position that you you know that you're good at. Like despite all evidence in front of you, no matter how many people say you're so good at what you do, why aren't you doing more, you'll either not apply for the job and then sit in resentment and shame and be frustrated that you're not getting opportunities or you will apply for the job but that sabotage kicks in because you're comparing yourself to the people around you and you don't feel worthy. Um, and it's the same with, you know, um, romantic relationships. I've had clients come and say, look, why, I know I'm lovely, I know I'm a good catch, why do I keep attracting turds? You know, why do I keep attracting toxic relationships? <laughs> and um, the, is, there's, there's the dichotomy. I know I'm a good catch, so why am I, why do I keep doing this? So it's not conscious. Um because they don't believe they deserve it, subconsciously they're looking for evidence to prove them right. So it doesn't matter how logically you believe something, unless you subconsciously shift that, nothing will ever change. I think that's such powerful information to highlight. As you Mm -hmm. mentioned, when we have a belief, our brain will seek the proof, we'll seek the evidence to prove that belief is correct because our brain wants to stay safe and Mm. you know it's similar to that beta meinhof the frequency illusion you know if you start thinking about buying a red car then all of a sudden you see red cars everywhere and it is it's a frequency illusion despite the fact that no not everyone in your neighborhood has started buying a red car you're just noticing it more (laughs) and so I guess it comes it comes back to then your thoughts and your beliefs so how Mm. do we challenge these beliefs Justine like where 
where does someone begin if they are struggling with the procrastination, the perfectionism, doubting themselves, attracting, you know, um, unhealthy relationships or self-sabotaging, where do people begin? I think if, if you, you could just do... tell us in one step. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm I, I was just, I know, look, as you were asking that <laughs> question, I'm like, question. how the hell, how do I condense this? Mm. Look for the truth. So your triggers have something to teach you. What's making you feel bad? What are the patterns that you're repeating? If you just write that stuff down and then ask yourself, what's true about what I'm feeling about myself? Where is this coming from? Where has it happened before in my life? Um, read some good books. Uh, I think it's. I think initially it's about acknowledging that it's happening and talking to someone about it. It's such a huge. It's a huge answer. It's very difficult to mm. getting facilitated help is key. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you mentioned there about being, you know, aware of what is true and what is objectively true because I think particularly for us as women, you know, and that I can only speak as a woman, but sometimes it's hard to know what is really true because it feels like it's fluid and it's subjective and it depends on so many things. But actually kind of slipping more into your masculine essence and being objective with your patterns and your habits, when you practice that and when you have the ability to access that side of your um, logical thinking it is a true unlock and such a game changer I know you know even as simple as following some journaling prompts and you know asking yourself where have I gotten stuck before in life and when I'm stuck what's happening and actually just being really really objective with the truth yeah it, yeah, exactly. I think journaling's fantastic because we've got to get get it out of our head, and and because it just swirls around and gets bigger and bigger, and it actually clouds our judgment completely. But I'll give you a good story about being objective. I coached two women in the same industry. Both were of the same standing in different parts of the company. Both very severe self-sabotage and symptoms of imposterism in the workplace. Each could talk for 20 minutes on the virtues of the other. They were friends in the workplace. And each thought that the other was someone they could never be. And they weren't looking at it objectively. They they put the other each other on a pedestal. And I said, have you spoken to her about this, about how you feel. And the mere suggestion was horrifying to them because they didn't want to appear vulnerable and they believed it would make them, you know, would show the truth that they're not good enough. And it was so fascinating. Uh, neither to this day know that I coached their friend and both it was it just blows my mind that they couldn't at the time be objective about it. Mm. And, it, and I imagine that our, our disconnection with being objective is mm-hmm. because of our stories, our stories and our beliefs. So I imagine even a place to start for people, for women who are struggling with feelings of imposterism is to... 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details also have a look at their childhood beliefs and see if there are any threads there that are continually showing up as adults and sometimes it's really obvious you know like it could be super obvious and just to stay in line with the example you shared earlier it could be so clear that someone who was told not to shine too bright for fear of upsetting someone else does that in the workplace you know they don't want the recognition they don't want the accolades they don't want to make other people feel bad but it might be more complex than that and not as obvious. So if you're having trouble identifying a childhood belief that could still be holding you back or feeding into these feelings of imposterism, that's where it could really be worth connecting with a psychologist, a therapist, um, a counsellor, and just starting to explore those kinds of beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't even have to be something really high level, high, you know, traumatic, um, like you said before. It could be something simple that you don't think is significant. Uh, I've had clients have huge aha moments about things and they're like, oh, my God, I didn't realise that had anything to do with this. So mm-hmm. one of the things is to write down what's triggering you, what circumstances you feel uncomfortable in, look at who you're comparing yourself to and ask yourself why and ask yourself, you know, what evidence do I have that this is right and where does it come from? So it's about all of those questions. And if you write down a list of questions or even Google, you know, great journaling questions and just start answering them and see what comes up and follow the breadcrumbs. And even just doing that, being curious, it kind of gives you that third person ability to be a little more objective and look down on yourself, which I think, and when I say look down, I mean like look at yourself through a different lens, which I imagine then would be helpful as well in overcoming imposter syndrome because actually looking at yourself from a third party perspective is probably really helpful and healthy at times. Because on the inside, you're running everything through all of these different belief lenses and traumas and everything like that. Whereas someone who is a third party observing you, they can go, well, you know, she's got two kids or she's got the degree or she's achieved X, Y, Z. And they're just looking at the things that actually are in line with why you are entitled to have whatever it is you might be struggling with. So I imagine building that kind of third party perspective could be helpful at times. Yeah, it is very helpful. One thing that I think is super important for people to know is that you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have children. You don't have to look a certain way. What bugs me is is everyone I've worked with, their, their main thing that gets some teary is I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Mm. I, I, what is enough, Kylie? What's enough? Like who And who's the judge of that? And, yeah, and I who think who gets to decide? Some, who decides, you know, why do you need another degree to be enough? And so why do you believe that? And what's behind that? So it's about 
questioning a lot of things, but, you know, maybe the first thing is what is enough? Like what would need to be present in my life for me to believe that I was enough? Because That's the answer will be different. a good question. Yeah, it will be different. For, the answer will be different for everybody. Well, I would hope that when people ask that question, they realise that there really is no such thing as enough and they can kind of dispel that internal belief that they have to reach a certain certain amount of stuff, a certain amount of enough. Like I would hope that even just asking the question, it shines a light on the fact that it's such an elusive like it's a non-event. Well, it already is. You're enough. You were enough. Yes, that, that's what I mean. Like there's You're no, enough today. There's like, no amount. Yeah. Yes. We yes. already are. Yeah. But and we I believe guess, that. Oh, sorry. No, no. And I was just going to say, and I guess that, you know, thinking about enough, what is enough? Why do I feel like I'm not enough? To mm. me, I'm thinking self-worth. You know, there's a bit of a self-worth um, issue, like not feeling, yeah, just enough just for being. Yeah, because somewhere along the line, a long time ago, something happened. We were either, you know, subject or witness to something. And as a little person, we made that Conditioned. mean that we were not enough. And that has been our main running program right into adulthood and that has shaped mm. every single choice we've made since then from what we put in our mouth to the amount of you know rest that we allow ourselves to have to the situations and relationships that we allow in our life to the amount uh, to the degree that we keep ourselves small when we know that there's greatness inside of us um, and that self-doubt it drives everything mm, it's massive isn't it mm. There's so much um, conditioning, you know, and like you said, conditioning from childhood, conditioning right through now. You know, we live in a world that is always telling us we're not enough, so it's no wonder we feel that and we believe it to be true because we're bombarded all the time mm. with, mess with messages about not being enough. Yeah, and yet nobody can define what enough is. It's that whole philosophy or not philosophy mentality when then so when I'm thinner then when mm. I have another degree then when I whatever it is then I can be happy yes yes and, and you I know think... I think the greatest gift is to learn to be happy now and to to break it down into the simple pleasures and look at what's real and what's not real because images in a you know on social are not real you know, we need to live an unfiltered life and, and love that. I think that, that, I mean, there's so many different threads I could grab here in different directions we could take <laughs> this. But one thing that I, um, I was thinking then when you were talking about, you know, talking about conditioning and living in the moment and everything like that is I think it's also important to highlight that we all have different parts of ourselves that exist within and I think sometimes people think that tapping into a different part of themselves is fraudulent you know when I mentioned I was going to be exploring this topic on social media a lot of the feedback I had was I don't feel good enough to be in a social setting you know or I don't feel like I'm being my true self if I'm doing did it and I just thought 
people seem to have this binary concept of they have to be just this one person in all situations, but understanding that in different circumstances, it might call forward a different part of you. And so there are different parts of you that can come to the surface and serve different occasions. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I can tell you right now, um, I've worked a lot in the corporate world um, with clients and I've done a lot of group trainings in big companies. And that, you know, when I ask people, are you a different person at home than you are here? And are you a different person in your sporting club than you are at home and here? And the answer is always yes. I think um, one of the things that um, is part of imposterism and even general life, which I guess is all under the same umbrella, is that we believe that to be enough and to be accepted, because one of our innate fears is to feel excluded, we believe that we need to be a different version of ourselves. And that's why people end up losing who they are, because they've been a different version of themselves for so long, they've forgotten who they were in the first place. And uh, I think alongside of that, wanting to be accepted, we also believe we need to be a different version of ourselves. So there is that unhealthy being a different version. And we are also genuinely, we're a different person with our partner than we are with our work colleagues. And I think people get that really confused because you're wearing all of these masks and Lauren White says it beautifully. You know, we've got to peel away the masks that aren't who we are so that we can uncover you know, the real parts of us. And if that means that we're different in different circumstances, it's in a healthy way as opposed to constantly worrying, who am I being in this moment because I'm afraid of um, being, you know, that I'm at risk. I'm afraid of getting hurt or let down yes, or with your failing. And therein lies the difference. It's either you are able to tap into the different sides of yourself and enjoy the different sides of yourself and mm. then you would be able to sort of I guess reconcile or consolidate that at the end of the day of going oh I had so much fun tapping into my um my inner social butterfly and then I had so much fun tapping into my introvert side and you, you can embrace that verse going oh today I had to put on this mask and I had to be social when I didn't want to be social and then I had to put on the other yeah. mask and then I guess when you're feeling that way that's really hard to reconcile it's and consolidate the different parts and yeah. then you feel stretched and pulled like you don't know yourself and if you don't know yourself you're not going to feel worthy if you're not feeling worthy then it's very hard to feel like you belong and if you don't feel like you belong then there is imposterism. It, it fuels everything. You th and I, yes. I guess the big thing that I always say to people is pay attention to how you feel. So when you go out and you're a mum and a friend and a, and a daughter and, a um, you know, you're in your career or your business or you're working with clients, uh, pay attention to how you feel because if you're contracting in your body, that's mm. not you're, you're being a version of you that isn't real and you'll come home exhausted but if you're paying attention to how you feel when you're with particular people and you feel relaxed and comfortable and um, and you come home and you go, okay, that was good, you know, you may even feel nothing, but it's not that stressed, exhausted feeling at the end of the day. And I think one thing it impacts, it impacts men a lot. I used to work with a lot of male clients who, who felt this in the workplace, but for women, just going back to that original conversation around where imposterism came from and the, and the patriarchy 
and that sort of legacy. Women have have generally always felt they had to be more in order to fit into any workplace. Yeah, and yeah. so well, we've got we've got to prove yeah. that we've got to prove yeah. got something to prove. Yeah, but the thing is that we don't, and when we relax into that, and we just find out who we really are, that will be the day that we're free. I love that, and I can see how just that theme of we have to do more to prove that we're worthy of taking up space that bleeds into every area in life. Well, it's, it's not like, just work. Yeah. yeah. It's like, who are we proving ourselves to? Who mm. are we proving ourselves to? I had someone say the other day, um, she said, I'm walking into a room full of men and please don't think that I, this is a witch hunt against men. I, You know, this is just observations. Um, no, we love in, men. <laughs> I love men, yes. I have four of them, <laughs> four boys. Um, she walked into a corporate situation with um, there was about 10 or 11 men on the board and on top of her being female, she's a little bit younger but successful in her field and very very worthy of being in the room. But she walked in before she walked through the threshold knowing that these guys were in there, knowing that they'd been around for 30 years, knowing that unfortunately that their demeanour in the past had led her to feel a little disrespected and disregarded because of her gender and her youth and that it's not a, it's not a female-dominated field. And she said, I felt defeated before I even walked in the door. Um, and it's, it's just a really big example of how it does get perpetuated in the workforce. But I gave her something that I want to give your listeners as well, and it's so simple. All you need to do before you walk into any circumstance, any circumstance where, whether it's with, you know, whatever the gender mix is, is say to yourself, I've got a secret. If you, if you say to yourself now, I've got a secret, you'll get a little twinkle in your eye and a little smile. You don't even know, need to know what the secret is. But when it changes your physiology. So you're walking into the room uh, with completely different physiology. Your mm-hmm. complexion is brighter. You've got a smile in your eyes. And so you will be received differently no matter what because people can only show up for you the way that you're expecting them to. I love that. I think for all of our listeners to really, really hold on to that next time you're feeling that wave of oh, feeling defeated, as you said, that your client was or, you know, entering a space when you're, when you're feeling a little shaky, just saying to yourself, I've got a secret. It does. You can't help but feel like your eyes get a little twinklier. Yeah, and that's the thing. And and I had someone say to me, but what's the secret? I said, you don't need to know. Like say to yourself, because I used to say, and I, I know this is okay to say on here, I used to say we all put our undies on one leg at a time. So if you say that to yourself as you're walking through the door, you're going to have a giggle, you know, whether it's internal or not, but it will show up on your face. And it'll just be that little bit of mirth, that little bit of joy, and people will see that the minute you walk in the door and they'll respond differently. Mm, I love that. And I think that, you know, that speaks to the part of sort of dispelling the illusion of like, you know, that illusion of grandeur of thinking, you know, putting someone else up on a pedestal and going, okay, let's bring it all back down to earth. We're all just humans. 
let's have fun yes it's dissolving that um perception but it's also allowing you to zoom out a bit and give you that bit of perspective too yeah and i think you hit the nail on the head when you said pedestal when one one real symptom of imposterism is we literally put everybody else on a pedestal and set ourselves lower um and that's not fair considering that's not fair to us and it's not fair to the other people if 70 percent of the population is experiencing imposterism at some stage in their lives you can bet your next paycheck that most of the people you come across on any given day don't feel good enough either. Mm. That's obviously, so, that's also, I think, part of, um, you know, making space for these feelings, these imposter thoughts, is, yeah. is understanding other people are going through it too and perhaps, you know, back to dissolving that perception of people being better than you opening your mouth to the people that you trust and having the conversation and saying, I struggle with this, do you? And just realising that so many people are all in the same boat, that has to be helpful. Oh, absolutely. I think it's one of the key things is we need to start more conversations about this. Um, it's so important for you to say, I'm feeling a little bit weird hanging around you guys because you're all so amazing. It can be something... It can be something that lighthearted. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you, you know, it doesn't have to be a difficult conversation. You can say, look, this feels really weird. You guys are all so amazing. And you can bet your bottom dollar somebody else is going to say, oh, my God, I feel the same way too. Um, this is a oh, secret absolutely. that needs to come out. Yeah, yeah. There have been so many times when I've been about to speak at an event and I'll just be talking with the other speakers and I'll say, you guys, like, I don't have anything to offer these people. <laughs> like, like, why, why, like, why, like, why do people want to hear what I have to say? And then the other speaker will say, oh, I feel the same way. Like, even though we know on some level we do have value to give, we still have those thoughts cross our mind and those feelings take over our body and it show up in our, like, show up on a physiological level where we're like, oh, like I don't belong here. But as soon as you say it and someone else says, oh, yeah, I feel like that, again, it gives you that third-party lens to go, oh, well, if, you know, if Justine feels sometimes too, then I, you know, I'm normal. This is common. That's exactly the perfect word. You're normalising it. Because, like, it goes straight back to the word syndrome, the implication that this is rare and something scary and awful. We need to diffuse and dilute it by talking about it and saying, ah, I just feel, you know, I feel like I don't belong here. Like you said, when you, when you, when you say it, when you speak it, it dilutes the power that it's having over you. And you're also having a shared experience with somebody else. So you don't know the gift that you might be giving someone else who could be suffering deeply from it and by you verbalising it, you're sharing that gift of releasing a little bit of it. There's so much healing that can come from feeling like you are part of a collective and part of a group and group mm -hmm. psychotherapy or group therapy um, seems to be one of the common ways that people can work through these feelings of imposterism so we've got the group aspect we've got being vulnerable opening up connection 
you know, speaking your truth as well as looking at your childhood belief. And I love those little secrets that you shared, the I've got a secret (laughs) before you walk into a situation. Is there anything else that you want to add to, I guess, to the file of, you know, overcoming or making progress with these feelings for our listeners? I think the group aspect is the most important. If you can find a collective of people, because when you talk about, when somebody brings up something that they're concerned about or they ask a question in a one-on-one environment, the learning is very valuable. But when you talk about this stuff in a group environment, somebody will bring up something that another person maybe doesn't have the courage to ask or hadn't thought of And inside of the answers around the conversation, you know, that come out of that conversation, not only will the person who's asked the question get some healing and resolution around it, but everybody else in the group does as well. Mm, I love that. And I think too, often when we're getting very overwhelmed with our own stuff, it is so helpful to understand that other people all have their own stuff as well, which of course we know that, but sometimes we just get so in our head that I think being exposed to a group and realising we're all going through different things, again, it allows us to zoom out, have a bit of perspective and stop being so self-focused and also hearing someone else speak, whether it's sharing an experience, sharing their fears or asking a question. I think as humans, it then allows us to look at this this person and go, oh, there's an imperfect human but they're great and I can still have love and compassion and empathy for them. And then I think by proxy, we will learn to extend that to ourselves because when you get to a point where you can look at someone else and have empathy and understanding and go, oh, of course, that makes sense that you would feel that way, but, you know, logically here's why you shouldn't. If you're exposed to that enough and you're aware, you'll then begin to apply that to yourself. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I love. I'm grinning from ear to ear, just as you said that, because that's there's so much power in the group work. It's, it is where you, because, because we don't talk about what's going on for us, it becomes very insular and we lose perception around it, uh, perspective around it. And then it gets bigger for us in our mind. And then we heap shame on that. And we, you know, it just perpetuates this awful thing. When you start talking about it and getting it out and seeing that other people are going through it, um, it feels so much better and it normalises the feelings and then you can enjoy it. I think one of the public perceptions is that healing from this stuff and working through it and overcoming it and beating it is going to be painful and horrible. But that's the best part about group stuff is because there's so much laughter. There's a lot of sharing and sometimes there's a few tears. But the level of support and connection that comes within that work and the fun that you have and the relationships that are developed are next level. Like imposterism can be a very lonely place to be. It, It is a very lonely place to be. So talking about it is a gift to yourself. Yes, and I was just sort of having a visual of, you know, we've all got this bucket of stuff that we carry around 
and you know when we're dragging it by ourselves and we're focused on how heavy this bucket is you know it just gets bigger and bigger this bigger presence in our life but if we Mm -hmm. if we can sort of you know take some of that sand or dirt or whatever the beliefs in that bucket and scatter them and dissolve them it's just going to get lighter and lighter and I think you're so right Justine so many people resist doing personal growth work because they either think it's a bit woo-woo or they're not worthy of it or they're afraid of what's going to come up and it seems hard and scary but there's so much joy in actually getting to dissolve and dispel some of these myths and you know taking control of your own story and changing the narrative there's a lot of joy and there can be lightness in that particularly when you can connect with other people yeah, and we're wired for connection. And one of the things that women generally will do is contract and contract and contract and isolate themselves. And it makes even their their long-term friendships and relationships quite superficial because they're they're suffocating themselves in, you know, the the stuff that they're telling themselves and the situation that they're allowing in their lives. Um, and it is exhausting, and that's what leads to burnout. So, you know, that's not good for anybody. And um, it just, working through this stuff creates so much lightness and it enhances relationships. You relax into yourself. You're, you know, I've become a better mother as the more work I've done on myself, I've become a better mum, a better partner, a better friend. Um, And I didn't realise how much I was holding on to until I let it all go. Mm. Definitely such important work. And I think after the, you know, the year that everyone had last year, 2020, with feeling super disconnected and not having access to as much real life connection, people are feeling it more than ever. But I know that you have an amazing online resource. Could you speak to us a little bit about the work that you're doing online? I have... um... I run group programs and I have another one starting in March and I'm so excited about this one. It goes for six months. Um, I had run shorter programs in the past and at the end of them, everyone was saying, why does it have to end? So Mm -hmm. I've extended it to a six-month program now and I've got guest speakers coming in from different modalities each month and I'm running through... um, all of the usual stuff that I do with one-on-one clients but in a group environment to draw it out so that we can develop relationships and connect and normalise, you know, all of the things and celebrate each other um, and have that connection and community. I think women really, really thrive when they open up and support each other and they're vulnerable and women really want to help and I find group envi- group environments are fantastic. So, yeah, it's a six-month online program. So they get me for six months. They get each other for six months. They get guest specialists coming in. Um, and it's really going to – it's called the expansion project. You'll hear me talk about contraction a lot because we contract into ourselves. We contract in our relationships. We contract into our, our workplace. We keep the bar – you know, we keep lowering the bar – this is called the expansion pro, uh, project because you're going to expand over the six months. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can feel that you are, and it's it's funny because 
well, it's not funny. It makes perfect sense. But expansion has been on my mind a lot. And I spoke with Lauren White um, when she interviewed me about this. And I was saying to her, like, just following that feeling of expansion and not worrying about what is right on paper is just, it's where I'm at right now. Like, it's it's just everything to me. I think, you know, I'm... I don't know, it's something that perhaps going through a divorce, perhaps coming towards my more mid-30s, realising that my body is telling me things and noticing Mm. that feeling of expansion versus that feeling of constriction and wanting to avoid and retreat. So I love that it's called The Expansion Project and I'm sure that a lot (laughs) of our listeners will want to hear more from you about this. Where can our community find you? I am all over socials. So on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook, it's at Justine Dean Official. Very easy to find. And my website is justinedean.com. Brilliant. I'll make sure that we have that in the show notes. Before you run, I just have a handful of quick rapid fire questions so that our guests can get to know you a little bit more. Um, Okay, let's get into it. Do you have a book that you recommend, like a must-read book? Uh, the very, I can see the, oh, what's it called? The Big not The Big Leap. Yeah, The Big Leap. That's one of the first ones that I read um, uh, a few years ago. It's brilliant. Okay, The Big Leap. Awesome. Yeah. What is a habit that you have cultivated that you're really proud of? You're going to laugh. Drinking water. No, I that drink makes perfect so sense. much water. Yeah, like I'm 52 this year, and I look amazing. And I reckon it's because I drink so much water. Yes, and it's one of those things that I'm always saying to people. Like, it's great to reach for the superfoods and all of that stuff, but before you do that, let's get our sleep right and make sure we're drinking mm-hmm. enough water. Yes, got to have the basics yeah. covered. Yeah, that's a great habit. Um, what is an annoying habit that you have or a habit you're not proud of? Um, well, I've developed this in the last 12 months, not getting out of my active wear because <laughs> I work <laughs> And it's my husband will say when I go out, he'll say, are they your inside pants or your outside pants? Because so, oh, I have my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> so he would say that's my worst habit, yeah. Oh, that's funny. I live in active wear, so I'm like, you know, part of the course. I need some new stuff. Yep. That's funny. Do you have a recommendation for our community to watch, like whether it's a TV show, a documentary or a movie, can be recent or an all-time favourite? I would say get on to the top 20 TED Talks. Google that and watch the top 20. They're Go for about 20 minutes each and then you follow the threads that light you up. Follow the breadcrumbs. Just watch one a day. It will mm, expand your mind so much. Yeah. Even the um, TED Talks, the Radio Hour podcast, I'll mm. often flick through that and just go, oh, yep, I'm interested in that today and I'll pop that on. And, you know, there's often just so many great takeaways that will spark a thought and I love the terminology that you just use, the breadcrumbs. Yeah. Yep. It, it's, it's all about expansion, isn't it? And also habit stacks. So listen to it while you're walking. Yes. What is just um, out of curiosity, what is your favourite TED Talk? Like what's the one that you think of when I ask that question, your top one? Um, Simon Sinek. 
he's talking about, you know, your why and also Brene Brown's one on vulnerability. Yeah, they're both great. Mm. They, um, Brene recently interviewed Simon Sinek on her podcast. I'm sure oh, you're all wow. across it, but it was a, I hadn't, it was a good chat. Yeah. yeah um, that's so and good. I'll just, I was just gonna say, I'll add to that for our listeners. My all time favorite Ted talk is about why we need female superheroes. And it's one oh. that I have shared so many times. And it also just goes into the importance of normalizing that boys can play with whatever toys they want. And it's just, it's one that's really, really close to my heart. It's about 12 minutes long and I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's a TED talk that I think every human needs to watch. I'll definitely look that one up. You've probably seen it, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll send the link to you. It's, it's a good one. Um, Next, what does living a good life mean to you? I think it's being at peace with who I am. I think it's just being healthy, nurturing relationships and growing and learning and just, yeah, mm. feeding my mind. Last but not least, what is your all-time favourite quote or words that you live by? You've got me stuck there because I actually collect them. I've got over 3,000 in my... <laughs> so sorry. I literally have just drawn a blank. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. No quotes coming to mind? No. Sorry. No, that's fine. You can you can circle back to that one. Let me know. And, again, I can pop it in the show notes. <laughs> I just have don't a, send I, all 3,000 of them. No, God, no. No, I have a, I have a brain injury, so um, my short-term memory is shot. So I could get the quote for you. However, I'd have to stop and look it up. So I, I drop out um, sometimes that's, when I'm speaking. Yeah. That's perfectly fine um and I know we've mentioned Lauren a couple of times when she interviewed me last week she was asking me her rapid fire questions and I was just saying yeah I'm like Lauren these aren't rapid fire questions and I, I even said pass on a few of them so I am right yeah. there with you I can't remember what one it was but she asked me, yeah I was like pass like no I've got I've got nothing left in the tank and yeah. we have been yeah. speaking now for over an hour and you've shared so many great um, morsels of food for thought. So I'm really, really grateful for your time and your knowledge um, and just your vulnerability in showing up today. So Justine, thank you for the, having this chat with me. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm honoured to be here. I really appreciate um, chatting with you. It's been so lovely. I know this conversation will be helpful for a lot of our listeners and for those of you who want more of Justine, jump over to the show notes and you'll be able to find ways to connect with her. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.